Thank you, choir, for leading us today, and thank you, Ashley, for accompanying, and thank you, whoever did the offertory prayer for me while I couldn't get out here in time from the baptism. Was that you, Philip? Thank you very much. I saw the worship order when we were planning, and I, I was hoping that it would be able to get out on time, but I took a little longer perhaps today than I normally would, so thank you. We gather together to continue in the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, and last Sunday we spent some time on the earlier part of his life and journey, and today now we continue to see how God was able to work through a man who allowed God to be Lord, to direct him toward reconciliation rather than animosity. Joseph, as you remember, was the firstborn son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. He was Jacob's favorite son and was given a robe suited for royalty. This is a story of both a family and of a nation. The story of God's chosen people, the people of Israel. We know them as the Israelites. And we will see how God worked providentially through the strife and dysfunction and sinfulness and brokenness of these patriarchs to bring about his son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our friend, all through the line of David. You'll need to be in Genesis chapter 45 today. We're going to do some setup. It requires us to look back and make sure that we have the context in hand before we look at the actual passage. So I'll direct you uh, to that when the time comes, and the words will be on the screen for you if you'd like to follow along. Let's pray. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When we last left Joseph, his jealous and spiteful brothers had conspired to kill him. But after Reuben, one of the brothers, convinced the group to spare him, they ended up selling Joseph to a band of Midianite traders who then trafficked Joseph and sold him into slavery, Egyptian slavery. After they did that, they took the robe, the ornate robe, the coat of many colors, and dipped it in goat's blood and went home and told their father Jacob that Joseph was as good as dead. They had no idea what the Midianites would do with Joseph, nor did they care. In chapter 37 and verse 36, the narrator uses one very simple but powerful word to tell us that the story was not over. The story of Joseph was not over. The word is meanwhile. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. Meanwhile, meanwhile tells us the story's not over. Meanwhile tells us there's more to come. Meanwhile tells us that God isn't done yet. Potiphar was very wealthy and was the captain of the guard for the Egyptian king, the Pharaoh. Joseph's good conduct and upright character earned him the highest position in the household. Potiphar ended up putting Joseph in charge of everything he owned. What an honor. Soon, however, Potiphar's wife took a keen eye to young Joseph, 
very handsome young man. She worked on Joseph and tried to wear him down. But he would not give in to her pressures. If you've read the story, you know the story. You know the outcome, that he resisted her temptations. He told her that Potiphar had placed everything under his authority in the household except her because she was his wife. And he wanted nothing to do with it and sought to escape. She grabbed hold of his coat and he, it slipped off of him as he exited the room. And there she was all alone, just her and Joseph's coat. Well, soon one of the other attendants came in and she said, uh, uh, she told them that Joseph had assaulted her. And when Potiphar came home that day, she told him the same thing. Well, Joseph got thrown into prison, and there he would remain for a long time. At this point, it would be easy for us to draw the conclusion that this story is all about Joseph, who has been done wrong, wrongly sold into slavery, wrongly accused, wrongly imprisoned. All of that did happen, but remember, meanwhile, because the story has not ended, God was still at work. In fact, if you look at chapter 39, verse 2 says, the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Verse 3, the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything he did. Verse 21, while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. Verse 23, the Lord was with Joseph. Four times right in that chapter, we see the presence of God with Joseph. Joseph ended up being put in charge of all of the other prisoners. The warden trusted him and really didn't pay much attention to what Joseph did. He had such good character. Joseph said this happened because the Lord was with him. Again, the story reminds us that Joseph is not the center of the story. Jacob's loss and grief is not the center of the story. Joseph's brothers are not the center of the story. Joseph's success is not the center of the story, nor is his character or ability to overcome his negative circumstances. The center of the story is God. Is God. God's providence. God's work in this broken world. God's work through Joseph's tragic circumstances. This story continues to point us to a God who is intimately involved in this world, even when evil raises its ugly head, as we have seen so much in the past week. God is at work and reveals to a watching and waiting world that we, as God's people, we shall overcome. We shall overcome. Perhaps the words from the African-American spiritual are just as relevant today as they were in decades past. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall overcome someday. Oh, deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome someday. We'll walk hand in hand. We'll walk hand in hand. We'll walk hand in hand. I do believe. Deep in my heart, I do believe we'll walk hand in hand someday. We shall live in peace. We shall live in peace. We shall live in peace someday. Deep in my heart, I do believe, church, we shall live in peace someday. The whole wide world around, 
the whole wide world around, the whole wide world around someday. Deep in my heart, church, I do believe we shall overcome someday because we are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are not afraid today. Deep in my heart, I do believe, church, we shall overcome someday. We just can't give up. Joseph didn't give up because he was a meanwhile person. While in prison, Joseph became friends with the other prisoners. They were Pharaoh's officials, the baker and the cupbearer. Each of them had dreams, and they couldn't interpret them. But Joseph, you remember, could interpret dreams. And he spoke up and said, Don't interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So they told Joseph their dreams, and he interpreted them with God's help. Well, the days turned into years, and Joseph remained in Potiphar's prison. And it turns out that the Pharaoh as well had dreamed dreams but couldn't understand them. So he summoned all of the wise people, including the baker, and asked if the cup, the cupbearer, and asked if they could help him to interpret their dreams. And the chief cupbearer who had been summoned remembered Joseph and spoke up. While I was in prison, there was a young Hebrew with me, and he interpreted our dreams, and they came true, just as he had said. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, who was brought from prison, and he said, I hear you interpret dreams. And Joseph quickly responded, I can't do it, but God can. Once again, we see the work of God in and through Joseph, offering witness to the one who gave him strength. It reminds me of the words of the psalmist when we seek our strength, when we wonder how we're going to find it. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Joseph interprets the Egyptian king's dreams and warns them that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. And the interpretation also advised the Pharaoh to appoint a commissioner to store up supplies of food during all of the plentiful years so that they would have enough for the famine years. And to Joseph's surprise, the Pharaoh appointed him to this prominent position. Under Joseph's leadership, many food supplies were stored and the land of Egypt prospered. Joseph was given all sorts of authority. He was given a wife and many servants. He was put in second command of all of Egypt right behind the Pharaoh. People came from all over to buy grain from Egypt. Many years had passed since Joseph's arrival as a slave and his rise to power in the nation. Famine had also struck Canaan where his father Jacob and his brothers lived and they like everyone else had to go to Egypt to purchase grain. This is where the plot thickens. Jacob, who is much older now, tells his older sons to go purchase grain in Egypt. And he sends them, but he does not send Benjamin, the youngest. And you remember that Benjamin was the younger son of Rachel, Joseph being the older. Jacob thought that Joseph had died, and he didn't want anything to happen to Benjamin. So he allowed all the other brothers to go, but Benjamin stayed home. When the other brothers ended up in Egypt to buy grain, they had to confront Joseph. 
They didn't know who he was, but Joseph recognized them immediately. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to confront somebody who did you wrong? Have you ever... Have you ever thought about people who hurt you? Many of us have. Can you imagine how Joseph must have felt? I imagine his fists tightened, his teeth clenched. I imagine that he had a knot in his stomach. I imagine that his fight or flight instincts kicked in. I imagine he thought back to the day where he was coming just to check on his brothers and they wrestled him down and took off their coat of many colors and threw him in the, 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 the cistern and then sold him off to the Midianites where he would be enslaved. And how they sat down and just ate as if there were no problem at all. All of this would have come back up right there as Joseph saw them. But Joseph did not do what we would expect. Joseph's story reminds us that hurts are real that hurts are remembered, that when we confront situations that have happened even long ago, maybe it's in our family or, or what, a workplace or relationship, whatever that might be, reminds us that hurts are real and are remembered. Months and years can pass, and when we see that person or hear the voice, it's like it was yesterday. But Joseph would, would not allow his past hurts to control his current decision-making. And this is where... I want to grow. I imagine you want to grow. We see in Joseph doing the unexpected. He gave an unexpected response. And from his story, we learn that when confronted with our past hurts, whether from an individual or relationship or friend or group or institution, that we have a choice to make. We can retaliate in kind, which is what people in the world expect these days, or we can allow our Christian faith to lead us to do the unexpected. I want to do the unexpected. It will give people an opportunity to ask why, what compelled them to respond that way, and perhaps give us a chance to talk about the reason for the hope that we have. Some of you remember when Pope John Paul II was shot. A man attempted to kill him while he was in his motorcade. People around the world watched as the lifeblood poured out of the Roman Catholic Church's spiritual leader. The suspect was arrested and imprisoned. But do you remember how the Pope responded? Do you remember that two years later, in 1983, the two met again, and this time it was in a prison cell? The Pope humbly went to the prison cell where the man who tried to kill him was serving his sentence. And for 21 minutes, the two spoke. The Pope forgave him for the shooting. At the end of the meeting, the man kissed the Pope's ring as a sign of respect. And Pope John Paul said this of their conversation, quote, I spoke to him as a brother whom I have pardoned and who has my complete trust. Pope John Paul did the unexpected. Joseph did the unexpected. Jesus compels us to do the unexpected. 
He said, you have heard that it was said eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other as well. Turn the other cheek as well. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them. How many? Two. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Matthew 5, 38 through 42. Joseph had changed over the years. He did the unexpected. But he didn't let his guard up easily. He wanted to see if his brothers had changed. He wanted to see if they had remorse in their hearts. And so when he confronted them, he accused them as being spies, and they denied it. Then he sold them the grain on one condition, that their brother Simeon stay as a hostage until they brought Benjamin, the youngest, back from Canaan. Well, upon returning to Canaan, the brothers told their father Jacob what Joseph had said. And Jacob adamantly refused to send Benjamin. There's no way I can do that. But the continuing famine got so bad, it was so, so bad that he relented and sent his youngest son, Benjamin, with them. When they arrived in Egypt with Benjamin, Joseph was overwhelmed with emotion. If you read the text, you see that he withdrew to a private room and wept. It was just so emotional for him. He collected himself and came out and actually served, had a meal served with his brothers. They started on their way home, but he still wanted to, cons- to see if they were being truthful, remorseful. So he had one of his servants place his silver cup in Benjamin's sack of grain. And then when the brothers went on their way back to Canaan, they were stopped by one of, one of the Pharaoh's people, one of Joseph's people. And they opened up the sack and discovered that it was in Benjamin's bag. Well, this was devastating. Devastating. Benjamin would have to stay and the rest would have to go home. But Judah, Judah, the brother, begged Joseph not to do that. He said, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves, his father will surely die. Judah had personally guaranteed Jacob that Benjamin would be safe and he bet his life on it. Again, Judah begged with Joseph, the one who had conspired to kill Joseph, the one who had overseen selling Joseph into slavery years ago is now begging for mercy at the feet of his younger brother. Judah cried, verses 33 and 34 of chapter 44, so let me stay here as your slave, not this boy. Let the boy go back with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? Oh, don't make me go back and watch my father die in grief. And Joseph saw the remorse and saw that that there had apparently been genuine change. We call it repentance in Judah. And then we pick up in today's passage. Then Joseph could no longer control himself. See, at this point, they still didn't know he was their brother. Before all all the attendants, he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Guys, it's me. 
is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were so terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because, listen, because he's pointing to God, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He's giving the credit to God. He's stepping out of the way and saying what you meant for harm, God intended for good. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me the father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds, and all you have. And I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. And then verse 12, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt, and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. That's reconciliation. That's peace. That's what God desires his people to do. And so often I'm not so good at that. And I want to be better at that. So jo Joseph's brothers went to their father and told him all that they had experienced. And they told him that jo Joseph was not only alive, but that he was the ruler of all of Egypt. And they returned to Egypt and lived in a special place called Goshen, up in the fertile part of the Nile Delta. If you've ever heard of a Goshen Baptist Church. There are lots of them. That's where the word comes from. There they were cared for, and the narrator of our text tells us that the Israelites acquired property there and were fruitful and increased in number. And this is how the Israelites got to Egypt. And a couple hundred years later, there was a new Pharaoh in town who didn't remember any of this and any of the story of Joseph and enslaved all of Israel. And that began 400 years of bondage for God's people. So you need to read Exodus chapter 1 for the continuation of that part of the story. Well, some years later, Jacob died. And the family followed through with his wishes to be buried back in Canaan. And when they got back to Egypt, his brothers wondered, now what's Joseph going to do? Now that dad's gone, is he going to let us have it? You know, you can imagine that. You can, you can see that. 
But Joseph didn't do it. He remained true to his word, giving God the glory. Chapter 50, verse 20, to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. He reassured them and spoke kindly to him, the voice of reconciliation. What his brothers had intended for harm, God intended for good. God worked through the brokenness and the strife to bring about redemption for all of God's people, and that would come through Jesus Christ, as you know. This is what we call providence. Providence meaning to see ahead. The providence of God means that God genuinely cares for us and has control over humanity and nature. Despite our free will and our sin and brokenness, providence says that God is still at work in this world. Providence says that God brings order out of chaos. Providence says that God brings hope out of despair. Providence says that God brings peace out of unrest and love out of hate. One of my seminary professors writes, Nowhere is this better seen and understood than in the cross and crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The religious leaders who urged Pilate to crucify Jesus never dreamed that they were part of a larger plan. Jesus was not dying at their hands. They were larger, there were larger schemes being worked through. God was bringing out our salvation This is the reinterpretation of the Joseph story in light of the cross of Jesus Christ. Providence takes place in this passage with Joseph as it did with Jesus our Lord. My hope is that I can see my life, that we can see our lives as instruments of God's larger design. That we can come to forgive and do service, sometimes hard service, even being spent for Christ's purposes. Often God turns meanness to better and higher ends. And this is happening today as a result of all of the protests and the things we've seen in the news media from people who hate others. God's people have stepped up. Tomorrow morning there's a group of, I think it's going to be hundreds of clergy meeting downtown at the Maggie Walker Monument. And we're going to be time of, have a time of prayer and to encourage continued work at reconciliation in our city and in our land. Good things are happening out of bad. That's just how God works. We want to continue to be that voice of reconciliation as we learn in scriptures. Jesus helps us to see that in his own life. And Paul writes of that and says that we are ministers of reconciliation and we've been given a message of reconciliation. So some questions as we are going. Can we look for change within, as Joseph did, and can we look for change in others? As we go about this, we we want to see change in ourselves and in others. We want to be instruments of that change. And then can we look for the hand of God at work even in the midst of all the chaos? Maybe God will just use you and me to be the voice of reconciliation in our world today. We will not give up. 
Because, as you heard read earlier, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Let's pray.